your first time here then thank you for joining us this is the doula's guide to dot 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 with me meg also known as the dungaree doula it's a podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy birth and parenting my aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come if you're new to the podcast and would like to know more about me then go and check out the very first episode for a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing and the following episodes for some great birth and parenting preparation if you love the podcast, you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you by buying me a coffee. The link is in the show notes, so a huge thank you in advance if you choose to do this. Before we begin, I also want to remind you that I now have two pre-recorded online courses. So the first is a full antenatal and hypnobirthing course. You can sign up to it and work through it in your own time. There are over 30 modules to work through, each made up of video content with PDF downloads, hypnobirthing MP3 tracks, relaxation tracks, uh, journaling prompts, birth plan templates, birth partner checklists, and so, so much more. It's only £37, which is an absolute steal in itself. But to celebrate the launch of season two of the podcast, you can now use Use the code podcast for 20% off and that makes it around £29. So just click the link in the show notes or head to my website which is the dungaredoula.co.uk and head to the online course page. And while you're there, as I mentioned, there are two courses. The other one is Hypnobirthing Essentials. So that's for you if you're shorter on time, if you've taken a hypnobirthing or antenatal course before and you just want a refresher, if you want to spend less money or anything like that. This is just the essentials of hypnobirthing. It's still incredibly thorough and it's only £20 you still get all of the PDF downloads you get the mp3 tracks the birth plan templates the birth partner checklist and so much more in that one too head to the link in the show notes and go and check those out if you are wanting to upgrade your birth preparation Let's get into the episode. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about vaginal exams. And I have mentioned them in a few different episodes, but I thought I would dedicate this whole episode to just sort of explaining what they are, why they're offered, and why they don't have to be a routine part of your care during birth if you don't want them to be. So many people just accept that it's like a normal part of birth. And as with everything, it's not, it's always your choice. So let's get into it. I'm going to also chat a little bit about the alternatives as well, because I know some people do like, they want to track their labours, they want to know how dilated they are. And we will kind of unpack that a little bit as we move through the episode. But we'll talk a little bit about the alternative methods as well. So First of all, what is a vaginal exam? If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, a vaginal exam is basically where a midwife or a doctor will put a glove on their hand, put some sort of lubricant on their fingers and insert two fingers into your vagina up to your cervix. And then they will part their fingers and estimate how far they can open their fingers. And what they're trying to do is check how dilated your cervix is. So, they do this for a couple of different reasons. Generally, they wouldn't do this unless you were already in labour. I know in some other countries, like in some places in America, like their doctors are checking their cervix from like 36 weeks pregnant, which is absolutely insane to me because the majority of us, I would go as far as to say, like at least 90% of us, I don't even, probably more, the, the large majority of us are not dilated at all at 36 weeks. So we're just irritating people's cervixes for absolutely no reason. Um, I know they're trying to check if they're like softened, if they're moving forward and things like that. But in my head, this just makes no sense. I don't know why they're doing this, but we don't do this in this country. Of course, sometimes you will get offered a stretch and a sweep, um, but that's 
a whole other topic. We're just talking about badgerial exams at this point. So you might get offered a stretch and sweep at a sort of earlier gestation before you go into labour. But badgerial exams are generally in this country done when you go into labour. So if you're in early labour, you're probably not going to be getting them because you're not going to be at your chosen birth space. So if you think back to the episode where we talk about the stages of labour, in early labour, the majority of us are just going to be at home, going about our day as normal. It's very unlikely that you're going to have a vaginal exam at this stage. When they're sent, when they tend to be offered is when you go into sort of active labour when you make your way to your birth space. So if you go to your hospital or your midwife led unit, they will generally offer. Sometimes it's not presented as an offer. It will just be, right, we need to give you an exam now, um, just so they can see how dilated you are, so they know if you are actually in active labour or not. And yeah, there are other ways that you can check if someone's in active labour without putting their fingers in your vagina, but it's just, this is the go-to, this is what they use. So they will, yeah, insert two fingers into your vagina open them up, spread them apart as wide as they can. And yeah, they make a guesstimate, really. I know that that probably sounds harsh, but we'll talk about how accurate they are in a minute because they're not that accurate. (laughs) And that makes sense because if you think about it, imagine that you put your hand inside somebody's body, you cannot see it and you pull your fingers apart and then you have to guess how many centimetres that is. And I know that they have training and they have more experience. So it's going to be more accurate than just us doing it, who's never done it before. But it's still going to be a guesstimate, right? There's there's no way we're going to know for definite how far apart our fingers are in centimetres, even if we could see them, but especially when they're inside someone's body and we cannot see them. Um, so that's what they're doing. And they're done to check, yeah, how, how your cervix is dilated. And they can also check the position of your baby's head. So in a minute, we'll talk about the pros and the cons. And one of the pros of them can be that in labours that are not moving in a way that we would expect it could be due to malposition of your baby and for some people having that checked can be really reassuring so that is a a pro of them um but what they're looking for really is how much your cervix is dilated and what they will do is they will plot that on a little graph and then they will check them if you're a first-time mom for hourly um so then in four hours they're expecting you to have dilated 0.5 centimeters every hour so that's what they're looking for in first-time parents in second-time parents they're looking for one centimeter an hour um and yeah they're, they're going to check every four hours or every two hours depending on how your labor is going there are sort of concerns around this because this is based on really sort of outdated research the research that was done that sort of suggested that people dilate 0.5 centimeters an hour or one centimeter an hour what didn't suggest that everyone would dilate like that and so what we're doing is we're kind of misdiagnosing people with slow labors or failure to progress and things like that based on not following this pattern when actually the majority of people will not follow this pattern like I'm a doula I'm not a midwife midwives see so many more births than me but I've seen a fair amount of births now and I can tell you for a fact that most people do not follow this labor pattern they do not have a labor that is a perfect one centimeter an hour or 0.5 centimeters an hour it's completely variable some people will some people will be a lot faster than that some people will be a lot slower than that and we've spoke about quite a few times as well on this podcast how a lot of people in early labor their body is doing a lot of work and it's not even dilating yet what's happening is because your cervix is so long and so thick it is thinning out so that it can start to dilate it's got to move forward it's really long it's really thick it's got to completely thin out right so that is a huge huge job in itself so you could have a really long early labor 
and then find out that you're only one centimetre, only two centimetres, and it's presented to you in that way. Oh, you're only one centimetre. You're not even in active labour yet. And you feel like, what the hell? I've been in, I feel like I've been in labour for ages. I feel like my body's doing a really good job. And your body is doing a really good job. It's getting your cervix ready to start dilating. But you hear that, oh, you're only one centimetre. Like, it's acting as if you're wasting people's time. You're sent home, you get really downhearted. You feel really rubbish about it. And that's not going to set you off with any oxytocin, is it? <laughs> and that can so often happen to people. And then that slows things down because they just completely lose morale and they just feel like, I can't go on anymore. I felt like I was doing a really good job, but I'm only one centimetre. That's so rubbish. My body's not working. Your body is working. There's so much stuff it has to do before it even starts to dilate. So dilation is not the be all and end all. But that's what they're looking for and that's why. So they can plot it on this graph and so that they can recheck you in two hours or in four hours. And if, you know, after a couple of exams, you're not following this graph, you're a little bit slower because a lot of people do dilate a lot slower, especially first time parents. Then you can get hit with this failure to progress label. And that can be when things start to get offered to you, you know, to speed up or augment your labour. So it might be like, right, let's just break your water so we can speed things up. Let's just give you the drip so we can speed things up. When actually your body's doing a perfectly good job of just having a nice long, slow labour. Yeah? So there are there are issues <laughs> there are some issues there um they are a routine part of nhs maternity care um but yeah as we you'll go on to find out in a minute we don't know whether they actually improve labor we don't know whether they improve well they don't improve outcomes um and oftentimes yeah they can they can misdiagnose labor they're not particularly accurate but people do no this people are not told the risks of them people are just told you know this is what we do when you come into the middle of the junior when you come into the hospital when we come to your house we will give you a vaginal exam and in my experience at home births it's a lot easier to decline them I've never had a client at a home birth say I don't want vaginal exams and it be an issue but in hospital it oftentimes is a very big issue and like, I, I mean, even my experience in my very first labour, I recorded a podcast episode on this, um, why, how hypnobirthing helped when the system meddled in my first birth or something like that. Um, it was in season one. So listen to that if you haven't. But I talk about how I declined vaginal exams in my birth. And I believe that I received punitive care for that. So punitive care is where basically the midwives don't agree with your um with your wants they don't agree with your birth plan they don't agree with what you're wanting and so they give you subpar care because of it basically because you're not doing what they want and this is not like a super common thing I don't think I don't really know I don't really attend births in hospitals anymore I mainly attend home births now um but from you know from stories from birth stories that you hear quite often it does happen and it happened to me and it can be difficult and because yeah because I declined uh, the vaginal exam I was denied access to my own room and I almost give birth in the triage ward and I was just left there for hours even though I begged for my own room and I begged to be able to have a water bath I begged to go to a room with a pool I was completely denied it um so we will talk a little bit about how to decline them if you want to and how to ensure that that doesn't happen to you what happened to me but ultimately it can be quite tricky um, to decline them if you are in a setting that's not home. And I'm not saying that everyone should have a home birth. I know I do talk about home birth a lot on this podcast. I'm a very strong advocate for having a home birth, but I am also not naive enough to believe that it's going to be the right choice for everybody. It is simply not. 
I think if you haven't explored it, it's a good idea to explore having a home birth. It's a good idea to explore how outcomes are generally better and it's safer to give birth at home. But I do realise that for a lot of people, hospital will be safer. For a lot of people, home may be safer, but it may just not sit right with you. And you may want to give birth in the hospital or the midwife or the unit. And that is 100% fine too. That's your prerogative. You've got to do what feels right for you. But if you are choosing to give birth in a hospital or a midwife or the unit, and you are going to be declining things like vaginal exams or just other routine parts of maternity care, then you need to make sure you've got a strong advocate with you. Because when you're in labour, you're not going to be able to sort of fight your corner and you shouldn't have to. So you need to make sure that you have a birth partner with you that can do that for you um, and that is not just going to easily sort of succumb to, well, it's our policy, we need to do it. So, you know, that's where doulas come in, very handy. (laughs) Doulas are very, um, quite yeah, quite important in hospital births, I would say. But it really does depend. It does depend on the hospital. It depends on the midwife. It depends on the day, the time. There are so many variable factors. You might go into your labour and say, I don't want a vaginal exam and have a wonderful midwife who just goes, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like I've seen that happen. But yeah, you just don't know. Um, I, do, I have got a podcast all about decision making and birth rights and that, that does go more into this. But yeah, sometimes declining vaginal exams can lead to poorer care so you just need a strong advocate you just need an advocate that's going to call it out and just going to go no it's her legal right she does not give informed consent to have a vaginal exam and we still want to be taken to our own room and we still want a water bath and still we still want x y and z to happen and you're not going to deny us from having that happen just because you don't agree with our decision something like that it can be as simple as that but yeah you just need someone that that can stand up and that can do it But yeah, I'm not saying also, point here, I'm not saying everyone should decline vaginal exams either. And we will go on to cover that at the end, that there are some times when they are appropriate and there are some times when people just want them. And that's fine too. It's all your choice. It's just about knowing that you have a choice. It's about knowing that you have to give informed consent for procedures to happen. So do vaginal exams improve labour? So there is a big Cochrane review on them and I'm going to just read you a couple of quotes from that. So routine vaginal examinations for assessing progress of labour concluded there was no evidence to support or reject the use of routine vaginal examinations in labour. There was also no evidence that routine vaginal examinations in labour improve outcomes for mothers or babies. So no evidence that labour outcomes are improved for the mother or for the baby where routine vaginal examinations were used and it also stated that the effectiveness of the use and timing of routine vaginal examinations in labour and other ways of assessing progress in labour including maternal behaviour cues should be the focus of new research as a matter of urgency. So we need to look into it more and we need to compare it with the other ways that we can assess progress in labour so that we can have some solid routine evidence either way. So we can say, you know, because at the minute there's just no evidence that it improves outcomes. So we need to do some more research to sort of say, yeah, it does improve outcomes or no, it really doesn't. We need to stop using this and we need to use something else because it is invasive. There's another, let me just, I'm going to read the other bit. I was going to end with this, but I'm going to just put it in now because it makes more sense. It kind of, it sums it up, the Cochrane Reviews. It's from 2022. It's really recent. I will leave it, I'll leave it in the link below. It, it sums up as, vaginal examinations can be uncomfortable, painful and distressing. Dis- distressing? Distressing. If slow but normal labours are misdiagnosed as being abnormal, this can lead to unnecessary interventions such as augmentation or caesarean section. Some women may not want these interventions and their use can cause emotional and physical harm. 
So that kind of what that what that's saying is that people are getting them, and that's going to be my next point, talking about how accurate they are. People are getting them. They're uncomfortable. They're painful. They're distressing, right? That in itself can slow down a labour. That is not an oxytocin-fueled environment if you're feeling uncomfortable, if you're in pain, if you're feeling distressed. That in itself can slow down your labour. But maybe your labour's just slow anyway. Slow labours are really normal. But these, these slow labours that are just taking their time might be misdiagnosed. Because because these vaginal exams are not accurate, someone might examine you as being two centimetres and then a different midwife might examine you two hours later and say, you're still only two centimetres. But actually, they've just it's just inaccurate. Maybe you had progressed to, you know, three or four and they've just misdiagnosed it and they've gone, you know, you're having a slow labour and then you're in pain because the vaginal exam was really painful and then you've got a really low morale because you've been told that you're not progressing and that in itself slows the labour down even more. And then in another couple of hours, you have another exam and they go, oh, you're still two or you're three at this point. And maybe you're a little bit further on or maybe you're not because of all the stuff that's been said to you. And that's when they start giving you these augmentations and you end up on that cascade of intervention where they go, well, we'll just break your waters and then that raises your infection markers and then that makes your baby start to be in distress and that means that they put you on the drip to speed things up but then that makes your baby be even more in distress so they rush you for an emergency cesarean and all of these things happen as a result of the vaginal exam but they were never ever given to you as a risk of vaginal exams you were just told it's just what we do it's a routine part it's a routine part of our care right and it ends you up on this on this cascade that you never even knew was you know was possible (laughs) so yeah we don't know they don't improve outcomes as far as we can tell there's no evidence that vaginal examinations in labor improve outcomes for mothers or babies that's you know they're clear as day in that Cochrane review but we're still we're still doing them and you know are they accurate so again there are more studies on this and again all of this will be in the show notes studies conclude that vaginal exams are between 32 to 50 percent accurate which is not very accurate at all. So like we've said, they are just taking a guesstimate. They're not particularly accurate. You know, 30 to 50% off is a lot. It is big and it does depend on the person who's doing them. If you have a shift change and then you have a new midwife, you know, that's going to be even more inaccurate because you've not got that continuity of carer. So not particularly accurate. And yeah, people are getting misdiagnosed with slow labours or... Just just the labour that, you know, like I said, maybe the labour is, is slightly slow, but they're being told, you know, it's a failure to progress and we need to do something to speed it up. And you don't, you don't always have to do that. So they're telling us, you know, how dilated you are. And that's also another sort of issue with them. So we're looking, they're looking, not where I would never, ever do one. It's not within my like sort of remit, but midwives are looking for how dilated you are. And then it's just it's just a snapshot in time so again this is like another sort of another reason why a lot of people have beef with them really is because it is just a tiny snapshot it doesn't predict your labor even if your labor up to this point has been really slow maybe you've been in early labor for like three days and then you have a vaginal exam and you find out you're two centimeters dilated that doesn't mean anything in terms of when you're going to meet your baby it doesn't mean that you're they can say well based on this care you're going to have your baby in 10 hours we don't know you could be two centimeters dilated and you could have your baby two hours later like you hear stories about this all the time I was examined I was told I was only two centimeters I got sent home I give birth to my baby in the car on the side of the road it happens all the time even if that vaginal exam is accurate 
and you are two centimetres, that doesn't mean that we can predict when you're going to have your baby. It just means at that point in time, you're two centimetres. There's not much else you can do with that information other than wait and see what happens. You might have your baby in two hours. You might have your baby in two days. And the same for being at the end. You could be eight or nine centimetres dilated. That doesn't mean that you're immediately going to meet your baby. You could have hours more work to do before you meet your baby. You simply do not know, even if it is accurate. But then the problem is, was it accurate anyway? Are you actually eight centimetres or are you six? And you've actually got a long more time to go. We, we don't know. We have no idea. We can't tell you that. No one can tell you that. But also a problem with it that you might hear about, I've heard like stories about this, is that people being told, oh, we've examined you and you're 10 centimetres, so you can start pushing now. If your body was ready to start pushing, it would start pushing. You do not need to push your baby out. I know sometimes people have beef with this and like, oh, hypnotherapy teachers say you can just breathe your baby out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, you know, it's you can just breathe your baby out. Some people do have to put a little bit of work in, but your body pushes your baby out for you. Some people like to push with it. Some people like to breathe with it. Some people like to scream with it. Whatever feels right, do. But your body will start pushing your baby out when your body is ready to push your baby out. If you have an exam that says to you, you're 10 centimetres dilated and the midwife says, start pushing now. That's not how it works. That's simply not how it works. If your body, like, yeah, I don't know how many times I have to say this. If your body was ready to push, your body would be pushing. You would feel the contractions had changed because what happens in a contraction in the first stage of labour is different to what happens in a contraction in the second stage of labour when you are pushing. The contractions feel different. The uterus muscles that have pulled up in the first stage of labour, they gather at the top of your fundus and in the second stage of labour, those muscles that are gathered at the top of your fundus push your baby down the birth canal to get them out. It is a different sensation. If your body was ready to do that, it would be doing that. You pushing before it is ready is going to cause distress to your body or to your baby or to birth. So again, even if it wasn't misdiagnosed, maybe you have been told that you're 10 centimetres and it is completely accurate. That doesn't mean that it's time to push if your body is not pushing. It means just wait. It could mean that you're going through transition and you're getting a sort of rest and be thankful stage. It could mean that your baby's head is a little bit bigger and actually your cervix needs to dilate to 11 centimetres because 10 centimetres isn't the magic number that we think it is. Our cervix dilates to the size of our baby's head. And that could be nine, it could be nine and a half, it could be 10, it could be 10 and a half. So just being told that you're 10 centimetres dilated is not enough to start pushing. And you can't have had quite horrific stories of people who have been told to do this and then cause damage to their bodies or to their babies. And I wouldn't recommend looking it up when you're pregnant because you do not need that going through your brain. You just need to know that if, yeah, if you was in that second stage of labour, if you were in that pushing stage of labour, your body would just take over. And anyone listening to this who's had a baby before... Um, who's had a physiological birth will know that that is true will know that when you start pushing you don't have much control over it right your body just takes over your body starts to push your baby out it is an incredible feeling so many people love the pushing stage of labor it's like a bit of a relief you get this surge of adrenaline that wakes you up you feel really alert you kind of like come back to life a little bit and uh, you can feel your baby moving down your birth canal and it's a really really powerful intense stage of labor that your body just so cleverly knows how to do so yeah, that's another reason why people sort of, yeah, take umbrage with finding out how dilated you are, because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't matter. Your body's going to move through the stages of labor in the way that is right for them. 
And if you're one of these people who's listening to this, who's maybe had a really, really super long labor, maybe you're a second time parent listening to this, a third time parent, and you've had a really, really super long labor and you're thinking, well, yeah, that's fair enough. But, you know, super long labors can be quite hard and it's quite like it's reassuring to know how dilated you are. That is valid. And we will talk about that in the pros in a minute. Because we're kind of talking about the risks, I'm just going to go straight into talking about the other risks first. But I will I will try and make this more balanced towards the end because I know it probably sounds like I'm incredibly biased against vaginal exams. And I do try on this podcast to be unbiased. Um, it's just with vaginal exams, there are a lot of risks. There are not that many pros to them. Just because they're a routine part of care doesn't mean that, you know, they're like magically really good for everybody it doesn't mean that you know they're not actually quite harmful they, they can be quite harmful and I think that talking about that doesn't make us biased it might not be what people want to hear but it's just I, I'm not telling you anything that's untrue I'm not telling you anything that is just my opinion you know everything that I've said so far is factual there is a bit of sort of my opinion in there and if you hadn't guessed it yeah I don't really I don't really agree with vaginal exams, but that's just my opinion. I would never, ever judge somebody who wanted one. And I've supported supported clients who have had them. Um, Most of my clients have gone into labour not wanting them. But I've had, I think, maybe two clients who have actually asked for them at one point. And I will always support your right to choose. I think that's incredibly important. But I just think that your right to choose should be informed with the facts. And so many people are not given these facts, so... So the other risks, there are other risks associated with vaginal exams. Um, It can introduce infection. We kind of touched on that a minute ago. If it introduces infection, that can, you know, cause distress for your baby. It can make labour harder. Um, It can break your waters. So this is a big one um, that you hear happening quite a lot. People have a vaginal exam. We don't have actual statistics on how often this happens. I think it is a small amount, but it does happen. Like I know people who who this has happened to. Um, I've heard stories of like friends of friends who this has happened to. Have the vaginal exam and it can break your waters. And if it breaks your waters, that's not great for a couple of reasons. Um, so again, your infection risk massively goes up if your waters are broken. It puts you on that clock because um, if your waters are broken at the beginning of your labour, midwives like you to have given birth within twenty four hours, and that might not have happened if you were yeah right at the beginning of your labour. Um, and also like the waters are there to cushion your baby. You don't want them broken too early unless your body's unless your waters break naturally early on in labour you know then that's you know for good reason that's what was meant to happen but if they're being artificially broken before they're ready that's not great for your baby because they cushion your baby as they're going through the contractions they can misdiagnose abnormal labors so we've talked about this so it go more into it but misdiagnosing you as having a slow labor when maybe you're not they can be really painful or really triggering so if you've suffered from any sort of assault any sort of sexual assault in the past they can be incredibly triggering for you. Having a stranger putting their fingers in your vagina is not a comfortable experience for anybody, but especially not for survivors. So that's that's a really that's something to really take in con- into consideration if you think that might be a factor for you. Um, and you don't have to explain this to the midwives. You don't you you don't have to give a reason for why you're declining, but that in itself is definitely something to take into consideration. And then also, yeah, like I said, they're painful. So. Of course it's painful, especially if you're in active labour and you're in that bit where movement is really helping. In active labour, most people are not laid on the bed. To have a vaginal exam, you kind of need to lay on the bed with your legs wide open for a period of time. Takes a few minutes, right? 
inactive labor, most people are not laid on their backs on the bed, right? They're moving around. That movement is what's really helping them to get through all of the contractions. So having to just even get into that position in itself can be incredibly painful. And then the exam itself can be incredibly painful. It can be really disheartening, like we've said, if the number is small. And like I've said, even if the number is small and that is correct, that doesn't mean that your body hasn't done an incredible amount of work to get to that point. But also it might be wrong. (laughs) And then finally, they can slow down your labour because of all the things we've just said. Because, you know, if you're in pain, if you're uncomfortable, if you're laid down, if you've lost morale, that can slow down its labour in itself. Your oxytocin is not going to be flowing around your body. Your oxytocin is flowing around your body when you feel safe, when you feel unobserved, when you feel undisturbed, when you feel really calm and happy and loved. A vaginal exam does not make you feel any of those things. So that can slow things down in itself. So yeah, that's that's kind of all the risks. And like I said, you know, it's <laughs> it's tricky because I don't I don't want people to go, oh well, I'm just not having them now because you know I listened to that one podcast episode because it's a nuanced topic. There are reasons when they can be helpful. There are reasons why you might want to have them, and I don't want to sound super super biased. So I am going to talk about the pros, and then I will talk about the alternatives. So the pros of having them, as I mentioned at the beginning, is they can dictate your baby's position. So if you're having a labour that maybe is really slow or maybe something's happening in your labor that you wouldn't expect to happen so maybe you've got like a really severe pain in like your left hand side maybe your labor is not following the pattern that you would expect so generally you know the pattern would be that you would have contractions they would build in intensity up and up and up and then you would transition to pushing sensations and then you would have a baby if this isn't happening if your labor is really full on from the beginning and then you have some pushing sensations and then it dies off a little bit and then it ramps up a little bit and then you have pushing sensations again and then it dies back down a bit that's not a normal labor pattern and things like that can be caused from your baby being in and maybe like being malpositioned basically so those sort of pushing sensations you're feeling is your baby moving around trying to get into a better position if this is happening and you're not really sure why an exam can diagnose this and for some people that's helpful because just having that knowledge of yeah okay my baby's not in a very good position that explains why this is happening that explains why I've got that you know that searing pain in my left hand side that explains why I keep feeling like I need to push but my baby's not being born having that exam can diagnose that and then you can make a plan and maybe that plan is you do some sort of body work to help your baby so you know you do some forward leaning inversions you do some shaking the apples you do all these different things to try and help your baby into a better position or maybe for some people that just means right we go straight to a cesarean because there's no way that I'm going through this anymore when it's going to take so long and it's going to be so difficult and my baby you know is not in the best position maybe it's somewhere in between whatever it is you want to do they can be really helpful in that situation if you want to know if you just if you're like I need to know why this is happening I need to know if my baby's in a malposition so I can do something to help it or if it's just because you know I'm having a labor that's really really long just because I want to make a decision based on whatever the exam finds that is a really valid reason and that is why like I said I've had two clients who have had exams in this situation and they were both for that exact same thing they were having their labor was progressing in a way that isn't necessarily the norm and they both of their own accord decided they would like an exam to find out and in both cases yeah their baby was in a really awkward position and that meant that you could they could make decisions going forward on what they wanted to do and they both made completely different decisions and that was completely fine so that in that case they can be helpful the other pros of them are some people just find them reassuring 
you might have listened to everything I've just said and been like, that doesn't sound that bad. I'd actually prefer to just have them and have the reassurance that my labour is progressing. And that's enough of a reason. If that feels fine for you, if you're like, I can deal with a little bit of pain. I can deal with the infection risk. I can deal with the fact that it might not be accurate because I want the peace of mind that they would give me. Then have them. That's absolutely fine. You don't have to justify it to anybody. You do not have to say it. Like no one's going to, even if like, if I was your doula or if you had a hypnobirthing teacher or if you had friends who had had like, never had a vaginal exam, you don't owe an explanation to anybody of why you want one. If it just feels like the right decision for you and you feel like, actually, I would prefer to know, then have them. Like that's absolutely fine. I'm giving you this information. I'm not telling you these things and saying you all have to now not have an exam because that would be absolutely just that would just be bullshit I would I simply wouldn't do that it's not for me to say I think that as long as you have this information then you can make an informed decision and if it still feels like the right decision for you then have one maybe you do really want to know and some people like to have them as well because they have their sort of cut-off points some people are like you know I want to get to six or seven centimeters and then I want an epidural and if that's an informed decision that you've made then go for it then absolutely have the exams find out how dilated you are get to seven centimeters and then request that epidural that's absolutely fine as well just it's just about having the facts so that you know that you know there are alternatives out there if you don't want them or just knowing why they're offered again is is super helpful and that's that's the point of this podcast it's just so you know because you're not always getting this information when you ask for it you're not always getting this information when they're offered a lot of the time they're offered as a risk-free procedure that is just, yeah, a routine part of care. And there is more to it than that. But it definitely is nuanced. And there are definitely situations where they can be helpful. And there are definitely situations where some people will just go, yeah, that feels fine for me. Risk is so personal. And if something doesn't feel that risky, if this feels like a good option for you, then 100% do it. Do not be put off by the fact that other people are not having them or other people don't want them. If it feels right for you, it feels right for you. So, Finally, what are the alternatives? So there are a couple of alternatives if you do want to sort of assess progress. And we kind of touched on it in that quote from the Cochrane Review where it said that um, we need to assess other methods, especially watching maternal behaviour. And maternal behaviour is the most obvious one, basically. Like anyone who's ever been at a birth, midwives, doulas, birth partners, will tell you that behavioural changes are often quite... Well, it really depends. Sometimes they're quite drastic. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're more sort of, they're just not. They're like smaller, smaller changes that you would only notice if, you know, you were a doula or a midwife. But there are always changes. So if you just watch maternal behaviour, you will see as people progress through labour, they act differently. In the early stages of labour, people are talking through their contractions, they're walking through their contractions, they're a bit more lively. As they get into that active stage, things get a bit more deep, they go inwards, they can barely talk anymore, they want it really dark, they don't want anyone around them, they want like nothing basically. And then they go through transition and they might be like a little bit like, oh, get me the epidural, everything sucks, I'm going home. Or they might just have like a rest period where they don't have contractions for like 10, 20 minutes. And then they move into the pushing stage and they get that adrenaline and they're more awake and they're really up for it. And they're like, right, this is it. Let's do it. And they start making noise and everything's very instinctual. Most people will go through some form of that. So if you just assess it, you can be like, hmm, that person's in early labor. That person's definitely in active labor. That person's definitely pushing. 
that person's probably in transition because they've just thrown up. Like there are different things that you can notice that are going to tell you where people are without a number. And you don't need the number. Like I said, the number, the number doesn't tell us, yeah, you're definitely going to have your baby at X, Y or Z time. But knowing what stage of labour you're in can be super handy. And we can do that just from watching, just from watching. It's like, it's as simple as that. If there are other things that you can look for though, one of the things is a purple line. So basically, literally between your butt cheeks, so (laughs) right in between your butt cheeks, when you're in labour, a lot of people will get a little purple line that sort of rises up and you can assess dilation based on how far that purple line is up the back. And it's quite intricate, but it's hard to describe of a podcast without seeing it. So I have an Instagram post that I made on this and I will leave that in the show notes if you're interested because that's just... It's just quite an interesting one, really. It's not something that we ever talk about. Um, but midwives are becoming more and more aware of it. And some midwives will look for it if, you know, if they're wanting to, if they're wanting to assess dilation, they will look for this purple line or, you know, you can mention it to them. But I will, yeah, I'll pop a post about that in the show notes because it's kind of difficult to explain without showing you. But yeah, it's a purple line um, that rises from between the butt cheeks and it goes up in sort of stages. And it's to do with, or it depends on where your baby is in the pelvis. Um, that's what creates the line and that's um it's not it's not on everybody not everyone gets it but I think it's something like 60 something percent of people get it which is you know helpful for those 60 people that get it if it's something you're wanting to look at and then the other one that's like an alternative is checking the temperature of your legs so there's sort of this theory um that there's a small bit of research on and again I'll add that into the show notes that when you're in labor um, your legs get colder the further progressed you are. So if you're in early labour, you'll probably have cold feet. If you're in um, active labour, you know, you start to get cold up the calves and then it like gets up to your knees or something like that when you're in the pushing stage of labour. And that is just because, you know, as you're going through labour, your uterus is working harder and harder and it's diverting those red blood cells to the area. So your legs get a little bit colder. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it's, and it, they're cold to touch. So that, that's why we say, you know, you can assess it in that way because you would touch the area and it would be cold. And then, you know, if you worked your way up the leg, you'd get to a point where it was a little bit warmer. And it's not it's not the most accurate, but none of these things are fully accurate. Like vaginal exams are not particularly accurate either. <laughs> so I'd rather someone touch my leg than put their fingers in my vagina when I'm in labour. So, you know, it's about weighing up what you want to do. If you want to give it a go, give it a go. But equally, as I've said so many times, it doesn't particularly matter if your labour is progressing, if you're happy, if things are on track. Does finding out that number make a difference to you? That's what you've got to weigh up at the end of the day. Does finding out that number and the risks that it comes with feel really important to you? Or do you actually think you'd like to just be left undisturbed? It's completely your choice, but it's something that is really, really, really important to consider before you go into labour. Because it's something that will be offered, no matter where you give birth, if there is a midwife attending, it is something that will be offered and it's really, really important to think about it and to consider it. And also to know that, like I said, if you do want it, you can just ask for one, you can ask for one at any time. Declining it at the beginning does not mean that you've declined it for your entire labour, it just means at that point you don't want it. If you want it further down the line, you just ask for one and they'll do it. And equally with if you have one at the beginning and you think you want it and then you really hate it, You've only ever given consent for that one procedure. So if you don't want them going forward, you can have that one and go, oh no, that absolutely sucked. I don't want another one. And that's fine too. So that's kind of everything I wanted to say about 
vaginal exams I hope I haven't rambled too much and I really hope that I haven't like sounded too biased against it it is hard because personally I I don't talk too much about my personal opinion on this podcast but personally I don't really agree with them unless you know unless I, I like I just I can't see a situation where I would personally want one and I think a lot of people do come to that same conclusion after doing a lot of birth preparation but I don't ever want my personal opinion to reflect out on you because this is my personal opinion on what would work for me. So in my opinion, I can't see a situation where I would ever request one. But that doesn't mean that you're, you're going to be the same. It just doesn't. And I don't want anyone... <coughs> sorry, I don't want anyone to take on... I don't want anyone to take that on. I don't want anyone to say, oh, well, she's a doula and she knows a lot about birth and she sees a lot of birth, so I have to do what she would do because that's not true. I really just, I want you to tune into your intuition. I want you to, you know, maybe use the brain tool that we spoke about in the decision-making um, episode and just think about what works right. And the, the brain tool is super, super helpful for deciding on this, actually. And if you can't remember it or you haven't listened to that episode yet, then go and listen to it. But it's basically just um, thinking about, it's an acronym, you know, the brain acronym, thinking about what are the benefits, what are the risks, what are the alternatives, what does my intuition say and what happens if we do nothing? And that's a really, really helpful tool for working out whether you want to have vaginal exams or not. So I would go away and I would, yeah, I'd, I'd give that a go and just see what comes up for you. Because I, I don't want to influence your decision. That is not at all why I'm putting out this podcast, why I put out any episode of the podcast. It's just to get more information about these topics out there. Because, yeah, I know I keep saying it, but we're just we're oftentimes not told the risk just you know they don't have time to tell us if you go to appointments if you're in labor it's, it's not always explained to us fully and I just wanted to offer a different perspective I'm not trying to swear what you do in any way shape or form so I will conclude the episode so that I, I hope that that's come across in the way that I've intended it to I hope it's been a helpful listen. I hope it's been an interesting listen for you. And yeah, go in, do some soul searching. What feels right? Maybe you maybe you listen to this and you're like, load of tosh, I'm still going to have them. Like, perfect. I'm happy for you. I just want you to make decisions that are right for you. If you'd like to discuss this or any other aspect of your pregnancy and birth in more detail, you can book in for a power hour with me, which is a one-off, one-hour session to get clarity on your circumstances for just £50. And I've had quite a few power hour sessions recently that have been booked um, via this podcast, and I've had some really great reviews from them too. So I'm just going to really quickly read you a couple of those reviews. So I had one a couple of weeks ago, and they said, absolutely brilliant, super helpful, full of vital info, warm and friendly, highly recommended. Thank you so much. And then I had another one. It said we had a power hour on Zoom recently and found it really helpful. Everything that was discussed was evidence-based with all the research provided, plenty of time to talk options through, really excellent value for such a personalised service. Thank you very much. So yeah, people are really finding the power hours super, super helpful. What happens in a power hour is you send me, I send you a booking form beforehand and you tell me what you want to talk about. I prepare lots of information, lots of resources. We spend the hour talking about the thing or things that you want to talk about. And then afterwards, I send you a follow-up email that basically just breaks down everything we spoke about. Lots of further resources, lots of research or anything that you want. I can send you birth plan templates. I can send you hypnobirthing MP3s. I can send you stuff for your birth partner anything that we've gone over for you to carry on utilizing afterwards so they are incredible value for money if you do want one i'll pop the info in the show notes and remember while you are there to check out everything else that's coming up too oh one more thing 
if you've made it this far, I have a free hypnobirthing taster session coming up on Monday. So if you're listening to this when it goes out, I know it's not very much time, but I have one coming up on Monday. There are only, I think, three spaces available. So if you want to get on it, go and head to the link in my bio there too. If you have any more questions, come hang out on Instagram where I'm at the Dungaree Dealer and let me know if you enjoyed the episode. Do be sure to check out the show notes and check out everything that I've linked over there. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do stick around. Like, follow and subscribe or leave a little review if you don't mind. It is so, so very helpful for getting my podcast out there in front of other people. Speak soon. See you next week. Bye.